Good evening, everyone. Oh, that was wow. I never really get a reply normally. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to Explorers Night, Mind, Body, Space at the Natural History Museum. Uh, this is a pretty special night. It's the first time we've done one of these, and it's great to see such a, such a cool crowd here. Um, I'm very excited to shut the hell up and pass over to Two Chickpeas in a Podcast. Hi, everyone. You guys all look amazing. Thanks so much for coming out. Um, this means a lot. I hope you guys have been enjoying the evening and looking at all the amazing activities and things going on across the museum. Everyone's been working really hard for this night. So yeah, the fact you guys are here means everything. Uh, it's your girl, Nikita. That's how I like to start the episode. And I'm one out of two chickpeas in a podcast. <laughs> That's a great start. Can you guys hear me now? Um, thank you. Um, I'm the other chickpea. Me and Nikki are sisters, uh, best friends, fighters, and lovers. Um, <laughs> um, thank you guys for being here today. Um, we're really excited to be joined by two amazing guests, uh, Joshua and Asha. So please give it up for them. Asha Aslam, the amazing six-foot, bearded, beautiful man. Uh, he is a postgraduate researcher in tropical meteorology at the University of Leeds. His research currently focuses on understanding patterns in extreme rainfall across Southeast Asia. Previously working on climate model data for East Africa, he's currently seconded from his PhD and working as an EDI champion for the Sense Center for Doctoral Training. Uh, Asha has years of experience in working with various outreach and inclusivity um, initiatives. These include Gaia, so Geoscience Access, Inclusion and Attainment. He also uh, hopes that EDI will stop becoming a mere buzzword acronym and that there will be more engagement, particularly uh, from those not identifying within underrepresented groups and putting support measures into practice. <laughs> You're the guy. Amazing. <laughs> the man. Um, and now over to Joshua. Uh, first of all, I really like your jumper. It's a really nice colour. Uh, Joshua is an activist, an artist, an author. What's going on with my microphone? I'm really <laughs> sorry. And his most recent book, How to Change It, was published with Stormzy's Murky Books in 2020. That is big. Oh my god, hi. Um, he has played leading role roles in political movements over the last decade, including the Occupy movement and Black Lives Matter. He has also been involved with climate justice work, organizing with the group Wretched of the Earth. His writing, art, and talks have featured in places such as The Guardian and The Independent, and in cultural spaci spaces such as The Welcome Collection and the Cheltenham and Bradford Library Festivals. Big up, that is crazy. He currently coordinates organizing and training at the London Renters Union and will be publishing a collected volume on contemporary anti-racism in Britain with Pluto Books in 2024. So big up yourselves, both of you. That is mine. <laughs> So we're really lucky in our podcast to be joined by um, special guests, but especially these two. And I can't wait for the conversation that we have in store. Um, so there's a heavy focus tonight on the theme of climate crisis um, and then looking again at racial injustice in, in that. Um, so just in 2022 alone, some of the natural disasters that occurred as a result of climate change were Hurricane Ian in uh, Florida. That was just September last year, so only six months ago. Uh, the melting of the Greenland ice sheet. Uh, that's gone, sadly. Uh, <laughs> heat waves, droughts uh, in countries like China saw uh, temperatures go up to about 60 degrees. That's ridiculous temperature to be reaching. Um, and then, of course, there was flooding uh, in countries like Bangladesh. Uh, but what striked me the most was the floods in Pakistan. And I could not get over that the size of the UK <laughs> was completely wiped out in in those floods. Yeah, it's like the third of, a third of Pakistan. It's it's yeah, so it affected a third of the country in terms of its mass, but a fifth of the population. So that's businesses, loved ones, families, homes, they're all gone. And uh, it got me thinking, really, you know, the size of the UK was wiped out. I live in the UK. We're an island. We're surrounded by water. What if that happened to us? 
I'd have to migrate, surely. There's no there's nowhere for me to go here. Um, and then it got me thinking further about the views on migrants, asylum seekers and refugees and how that's always portrayed so negatively in the media. Um, you know, people just having misconceptions about them, you know, wanting to take all our jobs, all our resources, yada, yada, yada. But what if we become one of those people one day? What if we have to move because of climate change? Then what? There's already a lack of sympathy uh, for people mig migrating to different countries seeking refuge if you're fleeing from war, if you're gay and you're facing prejudice in your country, what do you do? What do we do if we have to migrate because of climate change? Um, and I suppose I'm looking to you guys to sort of add to that, that conversation. What do you think uh, would happen and what do you think about climate change and how we can sort of address it to can we avoid that anymore we in just, just, just some small questions yeah <laughs> <laughs> um it's a really difficult question it's a, it's a very difficult hypothetical situation right like what would happen if we had to flee here and go to other countries i, I kind of i think it's kind of impossible to say right like who knows what would happen but maybe i'm imagining what's implicit in the question is like how would we maybe be treated differently coming from Britain, the global north to other parts, as opposed to people who are fleeing from the global south? Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of implicit, you know, thing within the question is, is true. Like we would be treated differently. Like people from people who have passports for, you know, global north countries would be treated differently. It's, uh, you know, they have more access. You, you, you're treated differently now, right? If you have these passports are seen as golden tickets. People die for these passports um, on a daily basis in, in large numbers. So I think we'd be treated differently. But maybe also what the question is getting at is like, how is climate change and the effects of it unevenly distribu distributed around the world? Like, the fact is, we're looking at, I mean, I remember we did an action with BLM like five years ago, and we like blocked a, a, a uh, an airport because they were going to expand the airport, the runway. It was in a, like a working class community in Newham. And we tried to raise like, you know, raise the alarm about multiple things. And one of the things we said was by 2050, there's going to be up to 200 and I think it was like 250 million climate people displaced mm -hmm. by climate is what we said. That was five years ago. The current estimate is like up to 1.2 billion people are going to be wow. displaced by climate change. And the majority of those people are going to be from the global south because we have an uneven distribution of the effects, right? So I think it's a really important question and we have to kind of wonder, like, what are we going to do with this this coming situation, this, this current situation and this current, uh, this coming crisis? Well, there's another point you mentioned about the word sympathy. I don't think Britain will get much sympathy because of how Britain's approach to the climate crisis. Take politicians going, well, not going to COP or any greater climate rate of matters, how um, the way we approach climate is reported in the media. It's always negative because Britain's not doing enough. And um, I feel that there'll be the natural disparity in terms of the underrepresented group, underrepresented groups in the UK already. The way they'll be treated will be different to other groups in the UK. So, for example, the middle upper class will be able to, I don't know, hypothetically jet off to, I don't know where, first of all, I don't know where we'd go. That's a big question because mm -hmm. if we go north, those like ice masses are being lost. If we go further towards the, well, towards the tropics and equator, it's all going crazy as well. Like it's er, there's no real place to go. Now. I think because of the way we've approached the climate, well, not we, uh, in the terms of really we've done such a good effort. Like having a big community voice is so important for getting the message across to everyone. I feel we've done a great job, but the people leading it are the reason that I feel we won't get as much sympathy as mm. we could. Speaking of the UK leaders, we're not doing enough. Rishi Sunak, sorry, I'm going to say boo. Yeah. Uh, boo. No, you're not boo. doing anything. Boo. <laughs> boo. Um, and I think what I struggle with the most is, especially hearing from people from my own community, the Asian community are so proud. Like, wow, we have an Asian prime minister. Wow, that's so amazing. 
it's only amazing if you're supporting your community, honey. Like I just, I just, I can't take it. He makes my blood boil, and he's I young enough. He. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's young enough and smart enough to understand the effects of climate change. You would think so, but then he's gone and opened coal mines in the UK again. Just November gone, so three, well, two, three months ago. Um. How do you guys feel about that? Uh, as as uh, as people of color from South Asian descent, uh, you know, you think having, I think there's a big like conversation ever since the pandemic really about people of color hierarchy, the system, how it's all working against us. We do have a brown prime minister in at number ten. He's not really doing bits for us. What who who can maybe or what could be done in our communities to help? address climate change i suppose i mean in in terms of like the pandemic and it's ongoing still but during the starting periods you were kind of seeing the um the inequality and disparities being shown and how people were able to sit down and think like how are we going to make things more accessible inclusive for any group and i'm trying to think where i was going to go with this but um we know step in. <laughs> we, no, I mean like <laughs> we, we, we can we can think quickly on our feet, right? Like um I mean just quickly I'm of African descent. Um I also have South Asian ancestry, but I'm from Mauritius, East Africa. Um and I saw, I saw somebody else from Mauritius, you know, and we're a tiny island, so yeah, I was like, Oh my god, big up um big up Mauritius. Um <laughs> I think there's really something in that, right? It's like in a moment of absolute crisis during the pandemic, suddenly we found the means to be able to do what was that thing that we furlough. We did fur like fur I mean, nobody even heard that before. It's like, oh wow, the gov the government can do this really radical form of like distribution of wealth mm -hmm. to be able to take care of people. You know, like actually, it kind of changes the paradigm. They switch the paradigm completely. You know, that is not the track of the Conservative Party to do those kinds of things. And that's you know part of what we would have expected Rishi Sunak to be able to do in terms of thinking about the climate crisis. But there's there's a key thing here, right? Like, it's not in the interests of people like Rishi Sunak and his peers and people who are who bankroll the conservative party and conservatives to tackle this crisis because there is a lot of money to be made in fracking mm -hmm. in in coal mining in in speculation in oil it it is big big money and therefore what is of primary interest to them is keep i mean this guy is like the richest mp ever in this country you know like it's his in his you're talking about billions within the family right like they, you know what their what their motive is in life. If you money. make billions, you've got a motive in life, a real big motive in life. That's to make money. It's if you want to solve the climate crisis, you're talking about a different interest. It's not about profit. It's about the well-being of the planet. It's about the well-being of people, and that that doesn't square for them. So you're right. Like we we need to think about what are we gonna do to solve the climate crisis because they are not going to solve the climate crisis. Yeah, I think I think just the views are so skewed because of the amount of like the wealth that's there like you become almost numb to the crisis that's surrounding you and I think that's the thing that's been experienced well being on show by many of the um people in the Tory ca ca cabinet like for example like when uh, I think I remember what I was going on about earlier like the whole idea of like open these opportunities to people then trust makes the most diverse cabinet but it's still a cabinet that has so <laughs> many <laughs> bloody issues in it and then that's over that's over for after like 30 40 days i can't remember the exact the oh, lettuce survived longer right yeah <laughs> <laughs> the lettuce <laughs> the legendary lettuce we love the lettuce but um yeah i just think the numbness like they won't care because they've got that foundation whereas they'll forget they're like, oh, I remember my roots, but do you truly remember your roots if you become numb to mm. what defines you? Like, how you're brought up. I mean, maybe the upbringing was a bit different, but yeah. It's a, and then it comes down to, I think, a question of humanity and, uh, you know, our leaders not really caring. You know, they'd rather... I, I was having an interesting conversation, actually, with Natasha on our way here, and I saw something earlier online today about uh, the fact that a majority of people can imagine and fathom the idea of the world ending and crashing and burning before capitalism does. Uh, <laughs> which I, I, it's true. It's true. Everyone can see that happening. No one I speak to can see the end of capitalism. I was like, well, that's the way it is. That's the system. But the system and capitalism, I think, is a major contribution towards issues to do with climate change. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, that is that that quote. Like somebody said that to me this year, and it really is like mind-boggling, right? Like people find it easier to imagine the end of the world than they do to imagine the end of capitalism, and that is like that is really. I have to kind of wonder, like, what is it about the grip? of the ideas within capitalism. And somebody, um, at, they had this like talkie-okie. Did anybody go, did anybody go to the talkie-okie? That is so banging, good. that so is such good. a banging concept. Like, yeah, anyway, really good. Um, somebody there was like, um, the Mauritian person, I'm not, I'm just saying, she was Mauritian. <laughs> um, she said, um, you know, I, she, she works in eco-storytelling, which sounds like a really interesting thing. And she said this thing about like, we have to kind of win the, the stories, we have to win the narratives, right? Like. There's a, there's a version of of talking about um, climate change which looks something like the day after tomorrow. Do you remember the day after tomorrow? As wild, it's like the apocalyptic story of of of, of climate change. You know, which is like, you know, we we we're, we're bound to make mistakes. We made a few mistakes along the way. Um, the science will come. The scientists will come through and rectify it. This white guy is going to save his family. Then he's going to save the rest of us. Always saves the family first, then the rest of us. <laughs> um, but like, there's a there's that story, right? And she's saying that's captured our imagination. That's why we, can, we can't imagine it, but that's captured our So how are we gonna recapture the imagination? And I think things like this are so important. You know, like cultural institutions saying we're gonna get together and we're gonna have a different conversation. We're gonna try and talk about a different story is so important because we have to win that story. And we have to talk about a different thing. And the last thing I say is like, that story of we've made mistakes, the science will get us here, it erases the story of Every day there are conscious decisions made that get us in this situation. There's people in offices making decisions. No one's accidentally, every day been uh, accidentally just signed another mining thing. Like, oh, whoops. Like, nah, people are thinking about this. This is like real conscious decisions and we can intervene in them. We have a choice in the story. The power of storytelling. How many scripts? Don't need to follow the scripts. Make your own scripts. That was a lot of script. Well, as it's funny that you guys say that, actually, because I think we having a podcast um you know we're so influenced by stories and i think i've learned most about anything to do in life through music film podcasts tv especially tv um and yeah what if someone made a film about the end of capitalism would that give people a better idea of what the world would look like if you get funding for that one Um, so yeah, moving moving forward, I suppose. Um, colonialism. Let's just let's just say that. That's a mic, that's a mic drop word. Want to do that? Actually. <laughs> um, colonialism effects on uh, racial injustice and the climate change thoughts insight. Because the thing is, me and Natasha are learning a lot from all of our guests. Um, and yeah, I, I have an idea about the impact that colonialism has had on people of color, the injustice that we face in every system. But now, you know, with such a heavy focus on climate and the climate crisis, too. So, yeah, what are your guys' thoughts and insights on, on colonialism? I mean, one of the things I think about a lot is um, when people conduct the science are so important to understanding what's causing the climate crises because there are multiple of them they interact with one another they're causing so much mayhem um one thing i find is that it's more often the westernized views the people who take go to do the research or they sit at home and do the research there without really acknowledging the voices on the ground the people who have those lived experiences and obviously then there's also this issue where um the people on the ground can't communicate their work and then the western view is that oh you're not doing enough work because you're not for example academic publishing i hate the concept of it as an academic i hate it but i'm um, seeing who gets to publish the best article on like what's causing climate change and how we can be become more resilient it doesn't really take enough of those voices and they don't get to get that a position or a platform where they can say it because one, they don't get the leverage or support to or funding to get where they need to be. But also, they're living those lived experiences as they conduct the research. So they have so many other factors to take into account. There's not just the research. There's adaptation, dealing with family who may be directly affected. So speaking to people from my family in Pakistan, Pakistan when the flooding happened, luckily they were fine because it was a region that wasn't affected by the flooding, but speaking to some of those who were involved with science, there's like one or two of them, is climate change is not really a hot topic in my family really, unfortunately. 
um, just to hear their views and how that changes, like prior to experiencing a crisis and then experiencing it, your whole view changes and be able to capture that transition in the work, science, not even just scientists, just anyone who just wants to learn about the climate, about climate change and the crisis we face. I think we have to capture both the initial perspective, the final perspective and the transitional perspectives because things will change. Change is natural. Just to kind of maybe like jump off of this, like uh, people, you know, who have the lived experience or who are trying to tell the story, whether in the, whether in the academy or outside of the academy, like you, you have to, I, I believe you really have to take up space and, and really t tell your story and put your story out there, you know, shout out to yourselves with the podcast. Um, but like, on colonialism, oh God, um, one of the groups that you mentioned I was a part of was called Wretched of the Earth. It's like a, a collective of black, brown and indigenous climate activists and like five, oof, not five years, God, time flies, eight years ago, we we, we were at the People's Climate March, uh, like, you know, tens of, tens of thousands of people out on the streets talking about um, climate justice and climate change. It's a really complicated march because we tried to, you know, bring the voices of black and brown and indigenous activists to the front of the march and actually mainstream NGOs uh, tried to shut us out of the march. And there's, there's articles that have been written about that. But we had this banner, really beautiful banner, right at the front of the march. And it says, you can check it out online if you type in Wretched of the Earth. But it said, CO2 only, uh, so it's like colonialism, but the, the L was a two, so CO2 onionism. That's, yeah, I mean, it's weird to try and, like, try and like say a thing in words, but anyway, it was really beautiful. And underneath it, it said, Cli your, your climate profits kill. And I think what we were trying to say by bringing the conversation about colonialism into climate change is that colonialism is not a, a past feature of global society. It's an enduring feature of, of, of modern society, right? And climate change maps onto this economic system. It's an economic system, so it maps onto it. So everything that happens within colonialism, for example, colonialism thinks about dependency, right? There's countries that are at the core of the, of the global economic system and countries that are at the periphery of it. And there's a dependency between those countries. When we talk about moving to electronic, ve uh, electronic electric vehicles and the transition to electric vehicles, we're talking about hu like hundreds of millions of lithium batteries. Where does that lithium come from? Where does that lithium come from? That is mined out of global south countries. That is, that is enduring colonialism. And how we resolve climate change and how climate change is distributed maps onto colonialism. So colonialism is a big part of the conversation, which is why for us the conversation around climate change is one about climate justice. Because justice is about how you make connections between things, about how you historicize climate change. It's not just climate change and climate crisis movies and, and um, politicians talking. It's about economic justice. It's about social justice. It's a feminist issue. It's an anti-racist issue. So colonialism is a big part of it and one that people are afraid to talk about. This is the beauty of having you next to me in the panel. It's so beautiful just to hear these views because as a scientist, you don't really get to hear these things. And one, things it, one thing we say in the science community is, I mean, I'd like to say I'm a big name in the science community. I'm really not. Um, <laughs> one thing we say is like attribution of events, so like extreme events and things that have been covered, such as the heat waves in Pakistan, the heat waves, like the droughts elsewhere in the world, like in the heat wave in China, the droughts in Northern Africa, um, tracing back where the events originate from. So rising CO2 linked to emissions, where do the emissions come from, the global north? Um, where's it going to? Well, it can affect the global south directly. It can affect it indirectly because CO2 warms the atmosphere, all that stuff. And what I find when people cover this event attribution is that they fail to recognize that there's this colonial, the colonialism is impacting in terms of the, the economic gain that comes from releasing these emissions, but also the colonial mindset that we're not going to think about it because it won't affect us. Like, mm -hmm. they don't put enough thought into that part of that attribution. They just want, oh, it causes that. That's it. It's annoying. Mm -hmm. It's annoying. So many interesting points that you guys raised there. Um, and I suppose one question, and I suppose I want like a quick like answer from the audience on this, you know, the list of things that Asha was explaining, you know, it's a feminist issue, it's colonialism, it's, Joshua, did you raise all those things? Sorry, Joshua, <laughs> raise all these issues. Uh, you know, I just felt 
like it's a bit too overwhelming it's daunting does anyone else in the audience feel that way when looking at climate crisis getting some nods wow good one getting some nods anyone anyone disagree with that mm, yeah you mentioned you know climate crisis and and and, and how it's daunting and and of course it is it's, it's a climate crisis but i wanted to say we, we tend to focus a lot on the negative side of things um especially on you know the climate crisis all the time um but just a quick background i, I work in sustainability um and a lot of the conversations we take place are with all types of organizations on all levels um that tend to really put their money where their mouth is and drive that positive change um and and want to see that change themselves as well so if we constantly think about the perspective that you know there's a lot of good people out in society who also want to see a positive change for their generations and the ones after them as well um and that is it is there is something that they're trying to embed within society um from all levels of people as well like i mentioned you know people on the top top level in, in companies ceos executives um so on and so forth that that really want that um so the point I'm trying to make is a lot of the times this cri- climate crisis and then the way we've we've talked about it today as well is that, oh, my God, we're all going to die and everyone is going to be too hot to breathe and all that sort of stuff. But I don't know how true that is necessarily, but there is a cl- climate crisis that's taking place. And yes, there are ways to be able to um, to, to understand how we're impacting that as well. And there's people from all backgrounds, like I said, that understand this perspective, but also want to benefit society that they live in and for themselves, for the kids, for the grandkids, uh, well into the future as well. Um, the tonality, I think it's something that is, is quite interesting, is, is always a, a doom or gloom sort of feel. And I feel like sometimes it can be a bit exaggerated as well um, in, in some cases. But don't you see it as an emergency? Our we're going to all die one day, but our children and their their children and their children are going to be living in a society that is completely different to what we're living in now. We're going to live in somewhere where they're probably going to be super, super hot. They're probably, if, if they don't have AC and they go outside, guess what? They're probably going to faint. They're probably going to die. Do you not think that we're doing too little, actually? Sorry, I'm not, I'm just looking at Adnan, but I'm, I don't mean it to you. <laughs> Yeah, fundamentally, I agree. The whole problem is the acceleration of um, uh, not enough leaders taking that responsibility to try and accelerate that that 1.5 degrees alignment or or decarbonisation on a global level, right? So so people can question, you know, can we even reach that 1.5 degrees um, increase from pre-industrial times? So... Um, just taking a step back, we, we do have to adapt to all these things. And, and there's a lot of change that has to happen in the world. We have to change the way we've done things from before. Um, and there's many, many, many other issues that we have to focus on as well. But the question then in my mind comes back to sort of, you know, how resilient are human beings? Um, and something that I was thinking about the other day was, you know, like the Middle, the middle, um, middle Eastern area, uh, places like Dubai, Saudi Arabia, um, you, you know, it's just it's just an area of, of barren land. And now if you look at it, um, it's changed into a completely unrecognisable area. Um, but, you know, if you think about the environments now, it's 50 degrees. And this is before climate change necessarily. It's always been desert. Um, but how have we adapted to that? How has Dubai been built? Um, you know, how have humans come to 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 sort of problem solve and find solutions to build something that was probably unimaginable at some point as well so the point i'm trying to make is there there is ingenuity out there there is innovation as well we can come up with solutions um do we want to yes is there funding in place not 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 really not sure you know there's questions around that for sure um can that happen at a faster scale it needs to happen at a faster scale and can we avoid these things well possibly is that the solutions out there somewhere we have to adapt and we're not doing enough to adapt um and and for sure the acceleration is not taking place like that's that's apparent uh, as you're saying all of that all i'm thinking is where's the money yeah but that but money makes the world go round and i'm not i'm not in favor of that argument i'm just saying like that's that's my opinion that's where I, where i think things are not happening i think Probably all the wrong people have all the money in the world <laughs> and making all these decisions for us. Um, sorry, Joshua. I, I, I hear what you're saying. Part of me is like, we, 
we have to be a little bit careful about how we frame things. We're, we're sitting in, in a super wealthy institution, in a super wealthy city, super buffered from the effects of climate change. We have to, it might be a bit, and I'm not saying this directly to you, I'm not trying to like foreshade, but it's a, it's a little bit rich to be able to say to the rest of the world, oh, you know, people live in 50 degrees, you can figure it out. Mm -hmm. We've done it before. We, can, we're, we're in, we, ha we have ingenuity. Like, we're so sheltered. We are so privileged. We're, we're in that part of the West that is wreaking havoc and protected. We have, to, we have to have something a bit more to say than like humans can figure it out. And that humans can figure it out thing is part of the problem with the scientific discourse around like that Promethean thinking. We can just keep going. Science has the answers. We'll figure it out. I think we have to be able to say a bit more. And I, I do, I hear that, that you know, there's people at the top of institutions and the C-suites of various organizations that want to do better. But like want and like real willingness is a different thing because these kinds of solutions that we're talking about, the first People of Color Environmental Leadership Summit was 31 years ago. They were talking 31 years ago about solutions. They made the first principles of environmental justice. They said, this is the kind of investment. This is the kinds of reparations. This is the kinds of mitigation, the adaptations. This is the amount of money. These kinds of things need to change in the political, um, you know, in political legislation around the world. They knew, but no one had the real political will. And the Cochabamba Declaration, you know, like a couple of decades later, same thing, more, even more specific because we've got more people caring about climate change and politics, but the real willingness is not there. And I think, I'm, I'm gonna say it comes back to interests. Like it's not fundamentally in their interest. A lot of businesses will go bust if we transition. If you have an ecolo ecological transition, we're talking about millions of businesses, their fundamental premise of operations doesn't exist anymore. The Sorry. contrary to that though, you know, coming back to the Pakistan floods, you know, they'll get wiped out. So one one way or the other, you know, you either lose jobs. But I think I think when you're talking about resilience, Adnan, I think yeah, I think the human population is resilient. We do we have come up with ways to move forward. That's why we're here at this time, but I think we've lost our way a little bit. Cause it's crazy that we have all the technology and like researchers and really clever, intelligent people who can give us all of this knowledge. And then what are people doing with it? Like, what what is the government doing with it? What are our top leaders doing with it? I don't think enough until it's too late. Even uh, things like COVID, you know, people, they were warned about that. That happened. That, we were in, went into a whole pandemic for what? for our leaders, for them to make a few more extra bucks. I personally think that Boris Johnson, you know, he could have done <laughs> more for us in the pandemic and things, but it came down to a question of money. Like, oh, you know, if we go into lockdown now, how much money do we lose? You know, what's gonna happen to the economy? All of these things. We've come out of, we're still coming out of the pandemic. We're in, you know, a, a cost of living crisis. I think these things will always happen. I just think someone's gotta make the decision to say, we are at a breaking point. Something needs to change. People will lose jobs. People will lose these things. But guess what happens with change? Like new new things, new innovations, new, new ways of living, new ways of thinking. And I think, I personally think we all just need to be like, yeah, what if, but all those things are already happening. Do you know what I mean? We just need to find a way forward that's a bit more, greener for the planet <laughs> and with that i guess we <laughs> we the people are making the change right we're well not not us sitting right here right now yes we can shout and we can do what we what we think is better we can change and we can be green but there's people out there actually who's taking it to the streets to to the heart to the streets uh activists speakers um and then we've got the extension rebellion group uh i mean i completely i don't know about you guys understand why they're doing it i i love the world i want the world to heal i want the world to be great however they are people who are trying to spread a message in a certain type of way i just wonder what you guys think about that and when we speak about those people we mean all the people sitting in the roads we mean all the people chucking paint and all the art everywhere oh yeah sorry um yes <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how would you feel um, about getting late to work with your hat because someone's decided to put their hand stuck on the floor, on the on the cement or the, the brick wall or the road and no one can go to work and get to work because they're trying to spread a message about climate change? How do, how do you guys feel about I mean, I support the message wholeheartedly. I don't support the doom and gloom of it because mm. I... 
that we can't you can't get people to be motivated about going for change when there's no sense of optimism. And sometimes, like I, I know people who um, are part of Extinction Rebellion who want to like rebel and like be part of the rallies and be involved in the actual like I know someone who got arrested and was because they were gluing themselves to I don't know what they did, but um. Yeah, it's sometimes a bit extreme, but sometimes you have to go to the extreme to get the message across. Mm -hmm. one, one of my issues is that um, it's the media portrayal of these things where it always, it always highlight the negatives. That's the way British media works. It always highlights the negatives when we want change, and that's probably one of the most annoying things. I'm just thinking, comparing that to, say, like a regular rally, like I'm not sure like what number that would be, what fraction of size it would be, or like how little paint or glue we use. But um, it's even then, like, we don't get enough attention. But when we do, oh, we push it over like, a threshold, we get too much attention. It's all negative. So mm -hmm. it's about finding that balance. And I think that's why you need that collective voice. So having things, people like Extinction Rebellion, Strike for Climate, people like that having that is good. But the doom and gloom is something I've always had an issue with because I feel we can do something and that's the way we should be doing it. I don't know what you think, Josh. No, I, I, I agree in a, in a lot of ways. Um, I'm just trying to, like, I have definitely glued myself to things. So I'm like, let me try and be responsible because I've done this before. <laughs> um, like, no shade, I'm an Aquarius and I love to heal the world. I think that's amazing that you did that. I just wonder about the, the way that the message is being spread across. And I, I think you're totally right. Like, I think just, just two things, and I'll try and, I'll try and say them pretty quickly. Like, um, the, the suffragettes were domestic extremists they were seen as terrorists right like and when i was part of the occupy movement we were designated as like um domestic terrorists um put on the same um sheets as like the ira um but like pe i think people who are trying to tell the truth there was lots of people at the tokyoki saying like tokyoki just sounds so weird to say at the tokyoki like we need to just tell the truth and i think telling the truth in a climate of like mass denial is a dangerous thing to do and you're going to be you're going to be tarnished. So I, 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 I sympathize with them. Like, it's hard to be able to tell the truth in this climate. And, and direct action, you know, when we talk about direct action, taking action directly against an issue, long, proud tradition, like for, for us, the countries we come from would not have got independent if it wasn't for people taking radical direct action against imperialists and colonialists. Like, that's a very important part of how we change things, you know? So I just want to shout out, like, the bravery of, of taking direct action in, in a moment. However, you're right, like, that if we're trying to win, like, if we're trying to win, like, against climate change, you, you have to bring a lot of people on board with you. You, you can't ostracize people. It's, it's a journey with the thing, right? It's got to be optimistic. It's got to be hopeful. Like, the other side have optimistic stories, and they, they really capture the imagination with, like, big budget movies or all kinds of things about, like, yeah, how, you know, how we will, how we have, like, ingenuity or how we're going to survive. Like, we can't just come and say, like, extinction, guys, it's over. Like, let's stick our hands to something. It's not going to really inspire people. We have to take people on a journey, and I worry that what they're doing is, like, getting a bunch of people who are, like, you know, a, s a relatively small group of people and just shouting. Um, and actually we need to think about how we're bringing together like a mass of people, a majority of people. And that's that's a different kind of project. In your response to, ta well, respond to your point, Natasha, about wanting to heal people, as a Scorpio, I love the collective chaos. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> as a fellow Scorpio, I mean, yeah, I'll show you that. Um, so yeah, sort of speaking, I want to come back to a point you made earlier, actually, Asha, when we're when we're talking about you know what do we do to make change and things, because when I'm thinking about people gluing themselves to roads and throwing paint on art and things, it's what is the effectiveness of it really? Like I I think they think that you, they are getting attention, yes, but the wrong message is being spread. So I think repeating something and it's having the same effect, you know, isn't that called like insanity a little bit? Not that I'm you know <laughs> not that I'm bashing those people because I agree with what they're trying to do is uh, raise their voice but i just think we're not getting results out of that what what do we do i think coming back to a point that you made earlier asha about you know when you spoke with your family who had experienced the effects of the floods in pakistan you know those conversations you know those if that's happening all across pakistan and they're re rebuilding pakistan i'm hoping you know leaders and stuff they're thinking are like you know what let's learn from this let's go green Let's have more of a conversation on climate crisis. Let's teach it in our schools. Let's have, you know, media outlets talking about it. Let's have films, documentaries, everything. Um, 
good old David, you know, he's he's introduced me into <laughs> Attenborough, obviously. Uh, he's, you know, he's opened my eyes massively to, to the climate change and has had a massive, massive impact on me. But again, this conversation, learning so, so much from you guys is, is, is how I learn. And I personally think we just need to be having more conversations about this. If we have more people sort of thinking a bit more collectively, maybe we can make a bit more of a difference that way. Uh, any thoughts, Natasha? I just think we're all really desperate to spread the... Sorry, everyone. I think we're all very desperate to spread the message across. And I think that's why I feel really sad for the people that are standing up for, for climate change and gluing their hands and throwing paint to the wall because <laughs> it is such a global crisis that we're so completely... Half of us in this room probably don't even know or understand how deep it actually is. And I think... Yeah, when people are getting arrested, they're doing it for a great and, and an amazing cause. I just wish that other people would follow suit and not be part of my French pissed off when they get back to get late for work. There's a complete reason for it. And I just pose the question, like, what else can we do now? What is it? Is it too late for us to go back? Like, is how, have we ruined it? Have we actually really ruined it for ourselves? Touch is trying to say hard, not swear. <laughs> Tough question. Um, I don't think we've completely ruined it. I've, I feel like there's obviously a lot of parts been tarnished. That's obvious. That's very obvious. But I think as we've been discussing, having that collective voice and be able to say, we're going to do something, embedding, well, not really rewriting the curriculum because it shouldn't be limited to like formal education. There should be other outlets. And it's about finding that universal language that works for everyone that covers every language, every ethnic background. I mean, this is being very like ambitious because it's very hard to find that ethos language. But I mean, like, common, like, if you do, like, a bit of media training, they tell you, you should, like, do this with your hands or make this graphic because that's the best way of getting the across. Like, they, these universal symbols. I don't know if there was a TV show where they had, like, what's the universal, like, symbol for noise? And it was just, like, a speaker with like those three semicircles that having those kind of things there i mean like the ipcc or the intergovernmental panel on climate change have a lot of these the um those sustainable sustainability development goals sdgs if that's what it is that those have good symbols they've made infographics which channel the messages they want to get across sometimes just verbally shouting isn't the best way because it, imagine if someone can't understand anything you're saying all they hear is shouting and what do you think of shouting you think you get scared you get like oh what well, i'm gonna avoid them you need to find that universal language and that's one thing i've always wanted to learn more about and imp embedding what i do as well i guess i'll just jump off of what you were saying before about like um how how does this story of climate change connect to people? I was doing a project with um, some young people in Tower Ham in Tower Hamlets on an estate um, around like climate change and and how how they can fight it in their local community. And they and and for them it was about like connecting climate injustice to the various different injustices people face, right? And like for example in that community they were speaking about the A12 and the fact that the A12, one of the most polluting roads in London, was built over the heads of this community. Or we can talk about City Airport built over the heads of this mostly migrant community. Like for them it's about how for them it was like okay we need to get our communities behind this fight, right? Like so we need to make the connections. You know when my family uh, migrated from Mauritius to here. We, we were moved into this big block of flats called Dermier House. And recently some people uh, like sued the council because of um, environmental pollution because it was right next to this massive sewage, sewage works. And th that kind of thing, by the way, that those kinds of areas are called like sacrifice areas. They're literally called sacrifice areas in governmental writing. So like how do we connect the issue to people? Because, you know, and maybe like being a bit of a, uh, on, on a repetition here, but there's this Malcolm X quote. Malcolm X is like legend. People know Malcolm X? Yes, yeah, <laughs> big legend. Um, he had this quote, which was like, um, "Power only concedes in the face of equal or greater power." Like, you have to have, you have to think about how we like overcome this asymmetry of power, and that is, and I, and I fundamentally really believe, I guess, because you know, I've, I, the only way that we got our countries free from the yokes of, of colonialism was through like mass participation in political struggle. It's like us not giving away our political agency when you come into the to the museum today, there's that question about political agency. I think it's really good they put it there. Like, we have to 
take the political agency around this issue back into our communities. Like, it is absolutely our issue. Like, why do we live in these areas? Like, why is the airport being expanded? And it's connected to economic injustice because, the, you know, there's this thing called the Green New Deal, um, which is a really Im important piece of, of legis uh, legislation that's going to be passed out. And there's a really great book called The People's Green New Deal by Max Agile, in case like you want to find out some more about it. But it's connected to economics, the e economic crisis that we face. So we have to we have to really go out and build this base and like make it a popular issue with like really beautiful, powerful demands around like how we can uplift wages, how we can create jobs, how we can transition. The housing crisis is intimately linked to the climate crisis. We have a big housing crisis in this country. It's about having better homes, more sustainable homes, homes that are like have energy sourced from the local community. I, I go on and on, but like we have to connect the issue to ordinary people's lives and we have to take the fight into our communities. I wholeheartedly agree with you and I think I don't know if I'm going to summarize on our talk today I think everything's political I think I really struggle when I speak to people about politics because every, everything we talk about is politics everything is related to um, our society the economy people's health people's jobs people's everything it's all political and I don't understand people who don't vote or and just say, well, nothing's going to change. Well, nothing really will change if you have that attitude and you're subject to uh, in the government's ideologies, their outlines and things. So, you know, if you want to see a change, like start voting, start having those talks with your communities. These things matter, especially I think in uh, any community where you're a person of color, it really matters. I think especially no disrespect to the generations of things before us and you know it's so much misinformation about things so so many things that they face that you know climate change is not the you know top of their priority list of things that they've got to address but actually like i i hope that everyone's sort of taken away from this conversation that everything is interlinked with one another so it does matter um and especially for for our you know, people of color, all of these communities, if we, you know, banded together, really like joined and had one voice, like we could, you know, overthrow this government and all the <laughs> BS policies. Um, so, uh, and, and, and the point of our podcast of Two Chickpeas on a Podcast as well, like I said, you know, we learn so much from conversations. It's the reason that why, why we do it. We, we come with our own set of ideologies, ideas and things, but who's to say that we're not misinformed and things. So I just encourage everyone, listen to podcasts, have conversations. Like and think listen about to Two it. Chickpeas on a Podcast. Um, there's some business cards on your table if you want to find us later. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are going to take uh, questions from the audience uh, in a second. Um, I just wanted you guys to be able to shout out, you know, if you want people to find you and all the amazing work and things you're doing, where, where can they find you? I don't, I don't really want to, like, shout out myself. I guess, like, yeah, um, do, do it. No, I mean, like, like you said, I've got that, that book coming out next year, which is around, like, like it's, it's 10 organizations from around the country that do really great anti-racist work and um, keep an eye out for it from Pluto Books. But I guess, like... I, I some things that I've read or reread recently that I think are really cool is like there's this um amazing scholar called Françoise Vergès um she writes about like going past the anthropocene to think about she she calls this thing called the racial capitalocene it's like how do you talk about it in a more, a more expanded way there's a great great um philosopher called Olufemi Taiwo he's talking about climate reparations because climate reparations is this is the heart of the conversation really it's like when we're talking about the differential effects of climate change how can countries that have been underdeveloped you know shout out walter rodney wrote this amazing book the underdevelopment of africa how how can we actually repair that and and make sure that resources go from the north to the south to be able to do um yeah there's like so many amazing things to read but those are two things that like recently really helped me reconfigure my thinking are you gonna plug yourself like what? In what way? <laughs> I'm, I'm plugged in. <laughs> <laughs> we'll plug him for you. If you guys all take a business card and follow us, then you can find Joshua's tag. <laughs> and some things I'd chuck in there. Um, if you're more, if you're interested in some of the kind of game to why we're doing the research and how we can make research better. So if you're interested in like polar science, if you like Antarctica arctic stuff like that there's minorities and polar researchers run by prem gill from durham i think um they do some really good work they're doing something called polar impact where they're doing these basically getting people 
of indigenous backgrounds to get involved and say, this is your message, we want to channel it. They're making these postcards, which they're, I think they're sending around the world, which are made by indigenous people affected by climate change. Um, you can find them on Twitter. And if you, yeah, there's some of there. Um, there's also groups for marine science. But if you also want to get involved with being able to communicate the educational aspects, things like Gaia, the Geoscience Access Inclusion Entertainment Program, which I helped out with. I don't think they're running um, at the moment, but there will be similar projects out there you can get involved with. Um, it, it runs from like just doing small workshops. Um, these include working with sixth form and like GCSE students and their parents. So I was gonna say earlier that there was this really nice workshop part we did where they had to build like their ideal world in the office in the future and they had to make it out of Lego. And it was really nice to see because so many people from different backgrounds are bringing together their perspectives in the form of Lego, which is a really good universal mm. medium of getting your message across. But there was also this, um, obviously confidentiality and all that, but there was a girl of Afghan descent and her mother from Afghanistan came along with her and she was communicating in uh, nat native languages um, about what she was doing. And through that, she was also able to make a piece of Lego that embedded what but basically described what she wanted her daughter to experience in the future. And I thought that was beautiful. Um, other projects, the Equator Project. I don't know if anyone went to the research school. I went last April. So good. Um, really about justice and making the process for people who want to get involved in environmental science and just justice in general. Because obviously everything's political. That's one issue I've always had with some of the traditional science that they don't talk about the politics enough. But this has brought... Brought right, brought right in. They want to break. Hey. All right. Oh, oh you fine. know, there's just some technical okay. difficulties. We nearly made it to the end without any. Yeah. We nearly, nearly, <laughs> nearly did it. <laughs> it's always political, and they want aren't afraid to say it. So that'll always feature with it, with anything they do. So Equator Gaia. Minorities and polar um, research. You'll find it. I'll stop talking because there's something <laughs> happening in the back. So there's so many things you can find online. Um. Well, I will just, I will just, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your cue. I will just, for, for, yo. Oh my day. Oh, somebody Dave. wants to be on the podcast <laughs> with <Dave>. us. <laughs> okay, I think we got it right. We, we good. Yeah, we, Woo. we, we did something. Oh. Out <laughs> to the people. <laughs> Sorry, please finish your point before oh, you're so I'm rudely done. interrupted. I will just like for for people. Um, ch ch <laughs> she won't leave us alone. It's erasure. recording a podcast after all okay yes 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 yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks Khalil <laughs> oh my gosh this is such, oh my gosh this is like my, minor it's so smooth for so long anyways it's now we're crunchy peanut butter carry on um no i think i, I think yeah, i don't shout out myself enough so i was just gonna jump up here and be like for people listening to the podcast like the book that i wrote is a really good little handbook for like how how we do activism and I'm drawing from loads of different traditions over the decades, over the centuries even. So like it's a good little handbook. If you know someone who wants like a little thing they can keep in their pocket, you know, for little bits of inspiration or how to like step by step make a bit of a difference, like shout out that book. It's called How to Change It. Um, make a difference. And I always I always mention EDI. I hate the buzzword. I hate I just hate it, but um, remember, remember that if you see an opportunity come up, you don't have to take it because it can be a lot of effort. I've done things that I've been like, oh, I want to because I'm in that background. I'm literally, I'm, well, I'm, I'm person of color. I'm Muslim heritage. I'm LGBTQ plus. I'm disabled. I'm neurodivergent. I'm all that. And I feel like I have to do bloody everything. You don't have to do everything. So um, only put in the work if you, my language, if they're doing the shit, they're doing what they need to do. Um, yeah, I, that's. Be being angry for once. <laughs> <laughs> Let it out. 
Um, we we cannot be more grateful uh, to our guests, Joshua and Asha, for joining us today. We've learned so much and I hope all of you have. It's amazing that we've had this turnout. This is our first ever live podcast and... Woo! <laughs> Oh, you guys, I'm just, I could tear up there. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's everything. And uh, yeah, yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, you can find us at Two Chickpeas in a Podcast. Um, just to reiterate, me and Nikki love podcasting. So we're really happy and grateful for this uh, opportunity to be here with all of you guys. Um, we don't claim that we know everything and we're here to learn just like you guys. And it's great to have amazing people like yourselves come on to our podcast. So thank you so much. And I would just like... <laughs> 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 Thank you so much. And I'd just like you guys to uh, give one more big ups to Joshua and Asha, please. Thank you. We, we have five minutes for any questions, for any burning questions, or we can all just hug each other. Um, no, no questions? Oh, yes. I think we've concluded from this conversation that the powers that be aren't going to get us there in time. And so really it comes down to the individual. And like what was said earlier, it comes down to a sense of immediacy for that individual. And if they don't have anything that's pressing on this topic that is facing them in their everyday lives, then there's going to be other more pressing things that are taking up their attention and focus. So I guess my question to you guys is, what is it that's burning inside both of you that drives you to continue every day on this mission that you're on? that maybe you can pass on to the people here who can in turn pass it on to others that might give more of a sense of immediacy and urgency to tackling the problems that we face. Oh, it's a tough one. I mean, like, in terms of like what drives people to just get out. I mean, I used to be very shy. I'm still quite a shy person. But I just then finding one thing that makes you, you find your niche and then you find an issue with that niche and then you project about it. You find your voice. Like I don't shout a lot. I got a bit angry earlier because I was like, Aah! I had to stop myself. And I don't go off on a tangent. Um, but I just find that little bit of fire in you. Um, you find sometimes like you can find your community and that can help. Oftentimes you don't have that community. For example, like. I'm I'm at the University of Leeds and like in my um, department I'm like one of the only people of color I'm one of the only like brown people um, brown people person whatever <laughs> um, and like it's weird but like you just you don't want to make it all about you but you make it all about you you highlight that this is what I'm up to but even if you don't feel that you are a part of that story you can be you can form part of it like if you support what others are doing you can just have that open dialogue. I think that we've been talking about a lot of that collective voice, open dialogue, is having that there. And like the people I work with at the moment on my secondment, they all want change. They're, they always say, oh, we're not of this group. And I say, but you don't have to be of that group. Like, don't undermine your capabilities. That was quite inspirational. But I hope you, I hope that really does answer your question because, I don't know, sometimes I don't see myself as a, a, a person of inspiration, you could say. But you know what? Maybe I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, um, it's it's a really good question. Um, I really like the the thing that really got me into politics was like um, I was I was like pulling night shifts at Acosta Coffee and I like decided to like read history. I was really I just wanted to read history, and I I was very fortunate to kind of stumble upon this idea of people's history. And I read like lots of people's histories, which is like an alternative version of history. It's not about great warriors or leaders. It's like people and how they changed it. And as I was reading, I was like, rah, people have done some incredible things. Like, they've really accomplished loads. And when they come together, it's not just about, like, when we do direct action and we, and we have collectivities, it's not just about, like, what we're trying to achieve. It's what, we, what we're doing together. Those, like, formations, like, how we are with each other, the kind of solidarity we produce with each other, those are, like, for me, like, genuinely the seeds of the utopia that we're trying to create, like how we are with each other. I've seen that when I read about maroon communities in Mauritius and how they lived. Like I see the seeds of what can be. I really, I just, I guess I really deeply believe that we can like bring forward that, that, that future of prosperity and, 
and like where we all have an equal opportunity and we only have to work maybe like i don't know five hours a week because we have because we and we can pursue our passions because even now we have lo anyway there's there's loads of ways we can really limit the amount of we work but i just really believe it's possible um and so i'm determined i'm determined to try and try and get that thing and and to follow in the footsteps of like people before who like said you know go out and get it like you know we, we planted these seeds so you can you can reap it so i'm i don't know i'm just maybe a bit overly optimistic um also my mum like affirmed me a lot big up my mum she really made me believe that i like i have something to say and i have something to do so um big up. it's good to be affirmed i affirm you you're sick you're inspirational <laughs> this one's for josh's mum <laughs> And that's nicely brought us to a, a full hour of, of two chickpeas and a podcast live. Um, I'll just I'll just sign off. I think um, it's been your girl Nikita. It's been your girl Tash. It's been your boy Josh. Hey. <laughs> Hi, I'm Asher. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you.